This episode is all about impact. Impact on your community, impactful ways to elevate your studies, impact of awareness, and chemical engineering. How can you have impact? We're diving into this today. It's really important to understand that chemi and in general engineering is plays a really big role in chemical engineering, even though it might seem as if it doesn't. Becoming a research assistant as an undergrad, important experience to have if you are really into. Today's guest is from Argentina, yet she studies chemical engineering at Cornell in the United States. Laura has an impact on her community with the organizations she partakes in, such as Rising Leaders, where she has gone to Capitol Hill to advocate for Tourette's, as well as being in Society of Women Engineers. If you want to know how to get more involved during your studies or the realities of engineering, this is the episode for you. This is the Gen Z in STEM podcast. I'm your host, Mahadrin, and I hope you're as excited as I am. Let's get to it. Hi, Laura. So you do chemical engineering and you study this at Cornell? I do. <laughs> can you tell us what chemical engineering is and what it consists of? Yeah. So chemical engineering is a really broad field uh, that is tailored around um, studying chemical processes in a large scale and manufacturing of different uh, kinds of products uh, that can vary from, for example, the chemicals industry, the pharmaceutical industry, uh, energy industry, or even like uh, daily products that we use every day. So like even Tide Pods or uh, a lot of uh, different things that we use every day are made uh, by chemical engineers uh, who design the processes that go uh, into making them in the industry from the chemical side of, of things and even the like large scale sort of machine side of things. So it's a really broad field that involves uh, processes in general. Okay. Um, and so I've had someone who was doing more like uh, traditional, like chemical science uh, on the podcast. Could you maybe like tell us what's might be the differences between chemical engineering uh, instead of just chemical science? Um, definitely. So I would say that chemical science is mostly, uh, as most of the science-based majors are, research-based so that means that it's mostly focused on uh discovering uh different aspects of uh molecules and different aspects of i would say like the uh materials that we use uh in manufacturing in the industries while chemical engineering is uh mm-hmm. i would say more focused in mm-hmm. the process itself after uh the uh the materials have been manufactured to get it to the product that we're trying to make. Mm-hmm. And it, it is more general in the sense that we can work even uh, alongside chemists in the process of formulation to create those materials. And we can also work in the economics or like management part, part of the industry. So I would say it's a really broad major that is more focused towards the mm-hmm. production of different elements in the industry. So, yeah, so you guys like have... Uh, things related to like the process, designing, more than just necessarily the theory. So you go even beyond that. Yes, yes, that would be the idea. And also, so do something pretty cool where you're a research assistant, like currently. And so I wanted to ask you, um, what motivated you to like become one? And how has the experience maybe impacted your skills and overall perspective on your field? Um, so I would say uh, what I personally do is uh, really chemistry based. 
So I work, I would say, alongside uh, chemists in um, studying the uh, entropy nature of colloidal self-assembly, where basically what we do is trying to model materials and trying to see what sort of patterns we can see, how they arrange mm -hmm. uh, using simulations. Uh, they're called Monte Carlo simulations, and uh, I write the scripts for that. So I do a lot of coding in my job. And I would say that it has really helped me see that chemical engineering is really broad and you can do a lot of things that go from uh, maybe tasks that would resemble more what a CS major would do or what a chemist would do. And this has really uh, put into perspective what my goals are within my major. So what I want to do specifically. So I would say that be becoming a research assistant as an undergrad is a really... Uh, important experience to have if you are really into research and academia and everything, because it really helps you understand how you can apply those skills that you learn in uh, the classroom every day in different fields. And you can always switch if you don't like it. So that's also cool. Yeah. Yeah, that makes total sense. And you did talk about so some of the like technology and like aspect of programming, maybe even CS in it. But so I want to talk a bit about like the relation of uh, like technology. So uh, what role does like technology, maybe such as programming and software, play in like chemical engineering and the work that you do in the lab? Okay, so actually technology plays a really big role in chemical engineering, even though it might seem as it it doesn't, because uh, it is a major that you maybe wouldn't expect to use as much technology as, for example, ECE, MECI, or uh, CS itself, InfoSci. But actually, technology is really important in chemi because it helps optimize processes in a way that is much more efficient and uh, less time consuming than it would be to do it manually, which uh, chemical engineers actually did, uh, I would say 30 years ago, where we didn't have as many resources as we have. And personally, my experiences in technology having broad studying chemical engineering, even being in my second year, we have used uh, a lot of different languages. I would say Python, Julia are really useful, uh, sort of, uh, you can use Anaconda to uh, and Jupyter notebooks to uh, sort of uh, run calculations for you. I have used Mathematica to do physical chemistry because uh, you cannot do those calculations manually. It is just impossible, I would say. So uh, I would say that technology is really crucial in optimizing processes. Yeah, and I love that. I think that's well quite universal in um, in engineering. Like myself too, we use a lot of like uh, programming and for instance, it just saves us so much time. Like in a recent unit, we were doing something with like flooding and inundation and flood risk. And we used, I think oh. you've used this too, the Monte Carlo simulation for randomizing it. But if we didn't have a computer to do it, it was like thousands of trials. <laughs> so with computer, it's like able to be done so much more efficiently than humans would ever do. Definitely. Okay. So, um, yeah, so uh, now I want to move on a bit to uh, your uh, involvement with associations and like the impact uh, in the community that you've had. Because aside from studying chemical engineering, you're involved in multiple associations in the community in general. Um, so in high school, you were part of uh, Women in STEM. And now you're part of Society of Women Engineers and Rising Leaders. For Women in STEM, you were a member and regional outreach director. So first, I want to ask you, 
could you maybe tell us a little about what Women in STEM like does and how you found it and got involved? Sure. I'm actually really happy to talk about that because Women in STEM was a really big part of my high school experience. So <laughs> uh, I'm really happy to share. And I would say that uh, the mission of Women in STEM, I feel is really important as it is an organization that sort of, I feel is really uh global in a sense that it involves uh the motivations of women in STEM everywhere and in Argentina particularly I hadn't found uh, an organization like that that was local based so when I started working with them it was a really nice experience for me to be able to bring that to Argentina and uh the global uh, organization has the objective of uh, furthering uh, the experiences of uh, high school girls that are interested in science and maybe don't have as much exposure to it as uh, we would expect because of how female representation in STEM fields is still really low, despite the efforts that uh, we have been uh, making in the past and the progress that has been made in the last few decades. Um, and Particularly in my position, I was in charge of uh, outreach. So uh, my task was to reach out to many different schools. That's how I found you. <laughs> That's how we met. <laughs> and <laughs> basically try to <laughs> connect people uh, as much as I could. And uh, um, I would say onboard different chapters. That was my main task. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and I quickly want to mention like the importance of your role because that is how we met. And uh, in my community and in the school I was in, we hadn't thought about that. So it like created an opportunity and it got uh, a community involved and more women to like uh, learn about many different topics. So it definitely is important because it wasn't there and it created like opportunity for it. But yeah, so like, as you said, we were both, yeah, we're both in uh, women's STEM, you as a director of our reach and me mostly as a, a chapter, like a chapter leader, if that's what we call it. Um, but um, so we actually reached out to the current uh, women in STEM members who are currently like high schoolers. And we asked them if they had like any questions for you. Um, and so let's see if you can respond a bit uh, from your experience to the questions they had. Okay, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> So uh, one of them was from Hoi Trang, who um, was asking, so you're studying at university in the US and uh, she was asking about like jobs in STEM and internship opportunities. So maybe if you could comment on your experience in getting internships and uh, any difficulties that could be associated with the process overall. So I would say that the job market in Kemi particularly, which is uh, the one that I had experience on, uh, is a bit uh like I would say um, it is large, but it is hard to land a job, I would say nowadays. And that's really common for most of the different engineerings. Uh, I don't know the, the specifics of every major, but in Kemi, it, it has been hard lately. And I would say it's even harder for internationals in a sense, because not every industry will be, will be willing to sponsor you and sort of take internationals because taking an international student for an internship means sort of compromising to in the future uh, have to sponsor them because most uh, industries want to have someone that they can hire after graduation 
So in a sense, it is harder for internationals, but there are plenty of opportunities um, as long as you network and you apply to many things and don't uh, focus on one specific opportunity because it's really hard to get a specific job that you want. I would say that uh, you will add something. <laughs> okay, yeah. And no, yeah, I can definitely understand that too. Like on my perspective as like, for instance, being someone who's like not, uh, so I live, I study in the Netherlands and not being from the Netherlands does make it sometimes like even a language barrier, not necessarily for US, but here. Um, so like, you definitely have to like go a bit more beyond and like be a bit more open-minded about where you can go. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So um, next question was from Mishka and she was saying, um, hi Laura, so as a chemical and uh, engineering student, uh, she was wondering if you ever had trouble with male dominance in your classes and how it might affect your mindset as a woman in STEM. I would say that particularly at Cornell, we're really lucky to have a, about a 50-50 split. At least in my class, we're about uh, 50 chemical engineers, which is actually a really small class. It's, it's typically more. Um, and we're about 50% uh, women, so that's really good. But I would say that it is really common for us women to doubt ourselves when we're in STEM. And a lot of my friends and I have that problem where we start uh, every time something goes wrong in our major in academics, we start thinking, oh, maybe we're not made for this, you know? And it's really hard. And I don't really yeah. see that on my uh, male friends, if that makes sense. Uh, sort of like mm -hmm. because of how we were raised and how female representation in STEM is not as present uh, and that really makes a difference in our mindset. But I would say that thankfully Cornell has been pretty uh, good in terms of uh, ensuring representation and ensuring that everyone feels included. So that's really good. And, and do you have any like tips for like, uh, for maybe moments of doubt or um, that you've experienced like in your major, what can someone maybe do? If anything, just uh, it's really important to understand that chemi and in general engineering is hard. We're not dumb. It's just that engineering is objectively hard, and we sometimes have to push through. You're not gonna be excellent at every single class that you're taking. Like that's that's basically impossible, I would say. But you're probably doing better than you think most of the time, or at least that that has been true for uh, my friends and I. We sometimes struggle in a class and we're like, oh, we're going to fail. And maybe we don't do excellent, but it's always okay. And it's always going to be okay in the end if you put in the effort. So I would say just hold on and like know that you can do it. Yeah, no, definitely. Like <laughs> everyone is struggling, <laughs> but uh, some try to not show it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I think the questions were really relevant. So yeah, thank you for answering those. Um, and also, I think maybe something that can also help is like, for instance, the associations you do, like uh, like Society of Engineers and spaces where you promote <laughs> and find community and other people who have gone through what you're going through. But so um, I'm going to go back to Society of Engineers and Rising Leaders, and uh, they're both associations that create uh, impact in the community uh, around where, where you are. So for those, um, how did you get involved with them and what do they bring to your life? I would say that for the Society of Women Engineers, my main motivation to join initially was that I was looking for a community that was sort of like women in STEM. So a space where uh, I 
like we could connect as women regarding our struggles in STEM and sort of build these initiatives in order to keep promoting STEM to uh, maybe young girls or uh, our peers every day, if that makes sense. So mm -hmm. I would say that um, that was my main reason to join initially. And I found that it was a really uh, nice community. It was uh, really inclusive and we had a lot of like cool initiatives that I was able to participate in. We had a mentorship dinner that we planned with uh, professors where we designed presentations. We had uh, catering. Uh, so it was really uh, nice to be able to be a part of that uh, organizing, especially for a school by the band, because that's really large. Um, and now this year we're working with a local um, library in uh, promoting initiatives in STEM for high schoolers and elementary school kids. So it's really interesting because uh, it allows me to sort of get involved in um, making uh, kids uh, sort of a part of the Cornell community in science, which sometimes is not as present, I would say, in high school. Even if uh, you're in the Ithaca area and Cornell is really important, if kids don't have the access to science, they might not figure out that they want to study that, if that makes sense. So it's really important to bring that to the community. Um, and then what about for uh, rising leaders? So I found rising leaders uh, actually when I was living in Argentina. So I have always really been uh, interested in participating, but I really couldn't until I finally moved to the U.S. So... Uh, it is an organization where we work to uh, improve the life quality of people with Tourette's syndrome. I have Tourette's syndrome myself, and uh, I feel like the Rising Leaders program has enabled me to uh, find uh, other people who are also struggling with my condition and also learn a lot of strategies in order to both manage my own tics and be able to mentor uh, kids, maybe uh, teenagers who have tics, and are struggling at school or in general with accepting the condition. So I would say that it was a really uh, growing experience for me. It really helped me. Okay. And actually, can you maybe explain for anyone listening who doesn't know what Tourette's is? And yeah, and you it? Sure. So Tourette's is a neurological condition that causes uh, involuntary movements or sounds that we call tics. So things can be either complex or simple, and they can be a uh, motor, which is a uh, movement-based or vocal. Uh, it could be, uh, for example, throat clearing. That's one of the ticks that I have. It could be winking, another tick that I have. Uh, it comes in different, I would say, presentations. So not, it doesn't show up in everyone in the same way. Some people can control it better. Some people can't. And it's really important to raise awareness about that because I feel like media representation is really based around, for example, coprolalia, which is when people uh, sort of uh, say involuntary words. And that's a specific case of Tourette's that only affects about 10% of the total population with Tourette's. So it's really not as representative of Tourette's as the media makes us think that it is. Yeah. And how does um, having Tourette's, does it like, have you experienced that had an impact on like your studies and like life? I would say that it does affect me a lot when it comes to uh, concentration. So for example, uh, for me, uh, a trigger to my tics is uh, 
having to focus or being in a moment of tension, if that makes sense. So right before an exam or when I'm trying to, I have like little time and I need to really lock in when I'm doing a task. So I would say that def- that definitely triggers my tics. Uh, but I have really, I feel, uh, learned how to manage them through uh, cognitive behavioral therapy and just uh, trying to uh, get more informed about the condition, which was really helpful for me in understanding my tics and sort of being able to uh, know what works for me in terms of uh, how I study, how I uh, go about my everyday life and how I react myself to my tics and the energy that I bring. Because obviously if one is always uh, annoyed at one's tics, it, it's, it gets really hard to control them because it takes more power for controlling them, if that makes sense. Yeah. And a big thing that you just mentioned was like uh, being aware of like having it because so I remember you telling me that you did get diagnosed quite late uh, in life and being aware changed a lot of things. Like personally, I myself, I'm dyslexic and I found out really late. I found out like a, like last year so when I was 18 that uh, I was dyslexic and being aware like you said, like, well, not the same thing. These are, they're different, but they're both somewhat neurological conditions. Uh, helps like adapt to study and the way you approach life because yeah, awareness is the first step. So something like uh, rising leaders can maybe even let people, other people like uh, know what they have and change their life in that way. Yeah, definitely. So I wanted to ask, so do you think there's a stigma with uh, neurological conditions such as like Tourette's and uh, dyslexia and how they're viewed in general? Yeah, I would say definitely. Um, I feel like even though nowadays uh, there is more representation, I would say for disabilities in general in the media or like every day, um, I would say that some people have misconceptions about Tourette's and it might personally uh, affect people, especially when it comes to, I would say, vulnerable people. So, for example, teenagers, uh, kids, they suffer bullying at school because people don't really understand or bother to understand how tics work. Uh, so, yeah, definitely. I would say that people are always going to be uh, afraid or like hateful towards the difference so it's really important that we make threats information accessible for everyone because that way we can ensure that people sort of understand how it works and can relate to their peers because it's not okay to just let it go and just some people like undermine i would say bullying because they're kids so they don't know what they're doing and it is really annoying because I feel like that's when learning starts, when you're a kid. <laughs> so it's really important that we are able to raise awareness to everyone, all sort of uh, initiatives with embracing leaders uh, include kids, teenagers, and also uh, the college level. So it's really important that we sort of have all of that covered, I would say. Yeah, no, definitely. Like uh, having a safe like learning environment because... At the end, it doesn't matter, like everyone just, you know, wants to learn. And in this, it's like, for instance, whatever you're doing, even if it's STEM or something else, it's like creating an environment where everyone can just be who they are and learn. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And it's really important that we ourselves are able to recognize our disability, understand it and accept it. Because I feel like it's really easy for us to 
get frustrated and say, oh, like, why do I have these? It's, you know, but actually, I feel like if we understand our disability, uh, we can not only raise awareness about it, but we can also understand ourselves better and how we can where we, what we have, I would say, and sort of use our abilities to the best of our uh, power, I would say. So there are some uh, perks, I would say, that come with Tourette's or any other disability and sort of make us who we are. And that sort of perspective you don't get from not accepting your condition, if that makes sense. You only get that perspective from learning and accepting and being able to work with yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. I I give it like a little, tiny parallel, at least for um like my experience with dyslexia. But um like understanding and knowing is like the, the key. But I think also when it comes to dyslexia, it's a bit different because uh like my brain and people with dyslexia's brain are wired differently. And I think in general, uh there's like a misunderstanding on when dyslexia is, and it's like a taboo on all like neurological conditions and like even like dyslexia especially. So it's like um understanding also for personally for dyslexia like the strengths and understanding uh how to like you know study and make sure that like you use that to uh, your advantage like my quote i guess in my family it's like when i found out i had dyslexia all my family was like oh no like you're dyslexic like oh wow like it must be really hard and stuff like that and i was always saying like well no i'm very glad like i know i'm aware because also it, it is actually an advantage in like an engineering field for me to be dyslexic because there's, yes, I have to work harder. Yes, all the time I can be like tired when studying and stuff like that. But there are things that are an advantage and like I shouldn't be ashamed of like, you know, being dyslexic. So yeah, like the key is awareness, but then also like um, applying what you can and like making the most of it. So yeah, definitely. Definitely, I completely agree with that. Well, well, I want to say, like, thank you for coming and, like, sharing all this knowledge. And uh, it's incredible all the things you do uh, in terms of association and the impact you have in your community. So truly, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. First of all, Happy New Year's. Uh, thank you for listening. If you like the episode, share it with friends and family and consider following us on whatever stream you listen to, it be YouTube, Spotify, etc. And stay tuned because this year we're bringing on guests that will provide insights you do not want to miss.